0: Please stand by. Good morning, everybody. I want to welcome you today to Bible study here. It's good to be with you and to teach some more about the ascension of the Lord. We've been working on that topic for, oh, I don't know, a couple of weeks or more, and we'll probably visit it again. It's a very broad subject all interlaced throughout the Word of God and worthy of our consideration. And I want to lead you in that time today for just just a little while and come apart from the world and draw apart and just take some time for ourselves and listen to the Word of the Lord. It's springtime here in Virginia. I'm looking out my window and I'm seeing all the robins. We, we, we get robin birds up here, the red-breasted robins. When we see one of those, we know spring is here or soon to come. And we see them all over everywhere here in Virginia now at this, at this time. But, uh, you didn't come here for a, a nature lesson. <laughs> you came here to study the word of God. So let's, let's see what we can do with that. Uh, I want to have a prayer from the, book of prayer, the morning prayer, and in the morning time on Ascension Day, we have a prayer that we have here that says, uh, let us pray. Seeing that we have a high priest that is passed into the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, Let us come boldly unto the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Amen. Well, that prayer is uh, a good way to start a morning prayer, start thinking about Jesus passing from the earth into the heavens. And because he's there, we can be bold and go right to the, to the throne of God because we know that Jesus is at his right hand. And there we're going to get the mercy that we need. There we're going to get the grace for whatever trouble we can, can come up with. He's going to be right there as King of Kings and Lord of Lords. This little prayer comes from verses in Hebrews. Where we hear in chapter 4 and verse 14, 16, how Jesus passes through the heavens to be our Lord and King. I want to just, uh, us to remember that the, from the gospel writer's perspective and from the writings of St. Paul, from that, those perspectives, Jesus is Already enthroned, he has is, he is, he is passed from this earth's ministry type up to a heavenly ministry type. The necessity of the ascension is the connection and the plug between those two points of reference. Therefore, from the perspective of the writers, this is a foregone conclusion. I don't know if you have any foregone conclusions you have in your life, but, but I have quite a few. It's a foregone conclusion that if I drive drunk, I might get a ticket. I might not. But if I do, I'm putting everybody at risk, everything at risk, and I won't do that. And, and I hope and pray that nobody I know of does that because, you see, if that's, that's a negative foregone conclusion. Now, this, this is important because they don't dwell on how this happened. The fact of the ascension <coughs> is not how you're going to really discover much about the ascension. If you think about the the moment when Jesus passes over from heaven to earth in that attitude, if you just focus on that event, you'll miss the fact that the foregone conclusion is that Jesus is, King of kings and Lord of lords. That's significant and important when compared to the earthly ministry of Christ. The word that I'm looking for to help today is exalted. We exalt him. The ascension is an exaltation of Jesus. And that's going to be where we're going to sort of wrap our minds around that. Paul does this. Talking in First Corinthians, for one place, chapter fifteen, he talks about this again in the second letter of Corinthians, in chapter five, verse ten. He talks about a judgment seat that the Lord is has seated on that, and it's uh, it's it's explicit location of the Lord to the right hand of God. The term Lord expressed toward Jesus, his Lord, is in fact an exaltation of Jesus, you see, from Jesus, son of David down here, to Jesus, the Lord, is a big shift, see, so this church, the church picks up on that, has always been empowered by the knowledge that the Lord is exalted and has ascended into heaven and explicitly spell it out in its creeds. A creed is the thing that the church agrees on in its terms of its beliefs. If you, if you, and the creed, in the different kinds, there's the Apostles' Creed, which is an old creed. We, we Methodists, uh, kind of cut our teeth on, on that. We, we used to, I don't know whether we still do or not anymore, but I believe in God and the Father, the Son, and all my life. on down the line we just get up on Sunday morning and declare what I make our creedal statement. Uh <clears throat> it's important to to remember let's see, um I'll look here real quick see if I come up with something to share with you on that. The um The Lord's Prayer is another place where it is implicit. Not explicit, but implicit. Where the Lord's Prayer functions in that fashion of enthroning the Lord. Our Father. You see, Jesus Jesus says this is the way to pray. Which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. And then the kicker. Thy will be done. See that? If you put that in parentheses, you've got, you've got the Presbyterian church in a, in a handbag, because uh, the will of the Lord is significant and important to a happy life and, and a life of an exalted Lord. If you put your trust in the Lord and say, "Lord, uh, your will be done. And let go of that. Well, my goodness, you have exalted. Lord, but as high as you can put him there. And if you say the Apostles' Creed, you're going to find in there a little line that says, He ascended into heaven. But even God the Father, Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, Jesus Christ, His only Son, our Lord. You know how it goes? It goes, it goes, it goes, it goes, it goes. And When I was in the seminary, I was in a Baptist seminary. Uh, and uh, I was the only, well, the only Methodist in the room of young Baptist scholars and uh, the the professor happened to know that that uh, I, I was a Methodist. And he he asked the entire room, he said, what is it that you believe? And a room full of students, myself included, we were dumbfounded, struck dumb, couldn't say a word, you know. And, and, we, and none of the Baptist boys were going to say anything. I wasn't going to say anything. And then he gestured to me and he said directly to me, he said, what is it that you believe? And I I stood up and I was frightened so bad, I said, The Apostles' Creed. I believe in God, Father Almighty, make of heaven. And he said that. See? He said to the entire class, He said, Now look, you Baptist boys, look at this Methodist over here. He knows what he believes. He knows what he believes because he's repeated it over and over in church. And when he gets under stress, he knows what he believes because he knows that he knows the apostles' creed if he doesn't know anything else. Okay. And we discovered that there's value and truth to that old thing called a creed or a creedal statement. If you don't have a creed, you say, I don't believe in the apostles' creed. Well, if you don't, work yourself up one of your own. Say, well, what is this that I really do believe? What do I believe? Well, an exalted Jesus is going to be a part of what it is you believe. Cause that's where you're going to start out where you're going to wind up. You're going to believe in the Holy Spirit. You're going to believe in all, you're going to believe in, 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 in the resurrection. You're going to, you're going to mention all these things. And right in the middle of it is the ascension of the Lord. He ascended into heaven. The liturgy in the church. The, the work of the church is to preserve that notion in the minds of the people. Uh, he used to say the old Presbyterian preacher would go to a new church, and he would immediately open his service with the Apostles' Creed, and he would encourage the people to stand and repeat the Apostles' Creed. And if they could not, he knew where his work lie would lie. If he, in fact, that they re- couldn't remember certain portions of it. Well, that would trigger him into what it is he needed to concentrate his teachings on a little bit better. So that was an old litmus test for a Presbyterian preacher I read somewhere one time going to a church. To check to see if the people you have been invited to pastor know what it is that they believe. And if they don't, you can help to instruct them through the teaching of the Apostles' Creed. Also works itself out in the Lord's Supper. In the church, we see that he's exalted in, in the moment when, the, when the minister says, "Christ has died. Christ has risen. Christ will come again." They say that right over the Eucharist most of the time before the Eucharist is given. It just simply means that 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 Jesus is is has died. He he he's dead. He had a Human body and he died and dead, but then that human body and him raised up. See, he was risen, and then he's not only risen, but he's coming again. His same body coming up, coming down. He's up, down. That is, he his important place, his exalted place is up. See, up, and then he's coming again into this world again. The creed says it. The church says it, and we say it. We repeat it. We read it in the Bible. It's a part of the ascension. Um, I wanted to just say a word about the prophetic aspect of the ascension. Jesus is, is ascended in a prophetic way. He is empowered by the Spirit of God to proclaim. God's word, and to perform signs and wonders—that—that that was Jesus' earthly thing there that he did. And a prophet today is the same way. A prophet proclaims God's word best they can, and they perform signs and wonders. Sometimes just they just are able to do that. The good Lord will bless them, and people will be healed. Sometimes people will will, will grow and learn things and. A, a prophet on the earth is someone who just is able to perform signs and, and wonders and, and uh, able to do that, to preach God's word and perform signs and wonders. That's that's basically what, what a prophet does. Now, Jesus is a, is a prophet, and he still does that. See, he's ascended into heaven at the right hand of God, but he's a prophet up there too. He didn't quit doing things. Just because he went to heaven, he didn't quit healing, he didn't quit opening up God's word, he didn't, he didn't stop doing signs and wonders. He still does them as the exalted King of Kings and Lord of Lords. That, that's, that's a great, great part of his exaltation in the church. Now, we down here, uh, humble creatures that we are, Sometimes the Lord, from his exalted place, bestows upon us things that he wants us to do, because we belong to him, we are the children of God, and, and even in our frailty, we're able to be of some use. I mean, put put it to you that way, put it to you that way, sometimes it might be in church work, sometimes it might be in giving Sometimes it might be in preaching, but we've got, each. Of, some of us have got our little gifts. But the Lord knows from his heavenly place just what you're capable of and just what he wants to do with you. Think of yourself as a tool in his toolbox. Now, this is a kind of a masculine, maybe it's a little toxic, but but it's a masculine way to look at it. In other words, you're just a monkey wrench, okay? You're not a Phillips screwdriver so get that out of your head. Be the monkey wrench that God has made you to be. Or maybe you're a screwdriver. Maybe you're a saw. Whatever. I know this is, can, can lead you to a deeper understanding of, the, of earthly prophets. He will call on you sometime to do some strange things. And use that thing to in, anoint you and anoint your work. Because he's in a place where he can see everybody, everywhere, all at once. And he knows exactly what you can do. And he puts his finger right on you when he needs you to do something. Have you ever felt an urging from the Lord to do a little something for it? I mean, just hear his, perhaps it's an audible thing you hear or a feeling that you have that, well, now maybe I should do something in this. In this situation. Well that's. That's the prophetic urge. Coming from the great prophet himself. In his heavenly seat. At the right hand of God. Well. I want you to think a minute about. How. Now. This exaltation. Works its way into. Worship. The worship life. Of a church. Worship is work. Worship is work. Liturgy of worship is to do that which works. Now, exaltation is how worship proceeds at its best. You exalt the Lord, the Lord Jesus. Uh, I think the secret to worship is to be able to exalt him, to lift him up, uh, to fall down before him. Is to exalt Him. To put Him on His throne. In your mind. Is to exalt Him. And it involves the recognition. Of His will. You remember. Over your will. And to use you as a vital tool. From His toolbox on this earth. He involves. The recognition. Of His will. In your life. When you exalt Him. There is a praise song. It, or it's a serious praise song. He is exalted. You may have heard that before. He is exalted. I will praise him. Mm-hmm. He is the Lord. You know that song? Beautiful. He is exalted. The king is exalted. On high, I will praise him. That's, that's all I'm going to get you to endure my singing this morning. But that's that's a praise song. That is a beautiful thing that explains what I'm trying to talk about. To exalt the Lord. Now, this was composed by a woman named Twyla Paris. Her last name is Wright now. Twyla Paris Wright. She wrote that in 1988. It was contemporary Christian music at the time, but it's been around a long time now. Pretty, pretty old, but it still has great power in it. And she sings it beautifully. You can look her up on YouTube and and, uh, follow her and that song and the lyrics of that song and follow your way right to the throne of grace. Because the secret of worship, I think, for this is for Jean now, but maybe you too, is to learn to exalt the Lord. It might work itself out in many different ways for you, but to exalt him, there's power in in exalting him. Uh, If you don't like Twila, or Paris or, or don't prefer that form of music, check out the Pensacola Christian College Choir as it sings, exalted. Pensacola Christian College Choir. Six years ago, it blows this thing right into a high church song. It's a beautiful thing. And, And you'll find that on YouTube. Pensacola Christian College Choir. Majesty. Majesty is the way we human beings try to exalt the Lord, too. And it works sometimes. I mean, we we build things that magnify the Lord and exalt the Lord. No other creatures on the earth do it. But we do it. Oh, we do it. Think of Notre Dame in, in Paris. I, I, I visited there not long after they burned. I couldn't get anywhere near it because it was... A dangerous structure, but Notre Dame is one of the most beautiful buildings on the face of the planet. Our own national cathedral in Washington, D.C., is also one of the most beautiful buildings in the world. Gorgeous layout and construction, and that thing is built to exalt the Lord over And for example, they are structured on an east-west axis if you go into any big, beautiful cathedral, you can know your direction just by being in the church. Because the altar is always at the eastern end of the church. And you come in at the western end, on the back of it, and it's shaped like a cross. All these cathedrals are laid out shaped like a cross. And all the way in the front, all the way in the front, where the table of the Lord is, there is the far east. And People sit looking toward the east. The pews, the chairs are set facing east. You know why that is? You know why that is? Because the Bible says in Revelation that the Lord is going to come one morning in the eastern sky. Okay? Well, those old builders of those old cathedrals read that scripture and said, well, if it happens when we're sitting in church on a Sunday morning, we want to be the first ones to see it. So we're going to be looking east. So all those old buildings are built on that east-west axis. They'll be sitting on a piece of land just as cockeyed. And you say, why is that? That's because they're on that east-west axis looking for that exalted king of kings to break through the clouds and come some glorious, wonderful Sunday morning or any morning. And they want to be right there looking at it first ones to see it. Well, even in our churches, we attempt as best we can to make it as beautiful and as powerful and as majestic as we possibly can, so that the beauty of it, the aesthetics of it, will create the condition in which the good Lord is exalted. See, and He doesn't He doesn't object to that. He He loves to be worshipped. The Bible tells us He loves it. Now, you can exalt the Lord. And change things on the earth by your prayers. You can by by exalting Jesus and praying for somebody. Miracles of the ascension will take place. This is this is so obvious that it's almost obscure, but it's not unmistakable. These echoes of, that I'm laying out about the ascension, the echo. Of church architecture, for example. It echoes and mirrors the majesty of the exalted Lord. Our creeds, our beliefs. Those things magnify and exalt the Lord every time he hears them. Because, you see, this is the fact that Jesus now is our high priest. Hear me now. Jesus is our high priest. Not a, necessarily a low priest, but a high priest. He is what a priest is. He is royal, says First Peter, chapter two, verse nine. And through your blood, he is able, Revelation chapter five. He's a mediator between God and man. You must remember, Jesus was a mediates the the, the divide or the difficulty. That happens between us and God there in the middle offering sacrifices for us, pleading with God for us is Jesus, our high priest. Once a year, the high priest in, in, in Jerusalem would go into the Holy of Holies and make an offering there. For example, they would offer up things and, 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 and Jesus is the high priest. That goes straight to the Holy of Holies, to God, and offers up those things that we, we need. Oh my. Well, let me read a scripture now from Psalms, thinking on this, on this way. my Bible over here. Psalm 47 Come everyone and clap for joy, shout triumphant praises to the Lord. For the Lord, the God above all gods, is awesome beyond words. He is the great King of all the earth. He subdues the nations before us. will personally select His choicest blessings. For his Jewish people, the very best for those he loves. God has ascended with a mighty shout, with trumpets blaring, sing out your praises to our God, our King. Yes, sing your highest praises to our King, King of all the earth. Sing thoughtful praises. He reigns above the nation, sitting on his holy throne. The Gentile rulers of the world. Have joined with us in praising him. Praising the God of Abraham. For the. Battle shields of all the armies of the world. Are his trophies. He is highly honored. Everywhere. My goodness. That psalm has an image of an exalted Lord. I mean, and one of the things I like about this version is it says here in, in the verse 7, it says, sing thoughtful praises. I mean, if you're going to put a sentence together and you ever had time or two to put one together beforehand, you might want to use the best words you can find in the English language to accomplish that with. Not that God is going to be persuaded because of fancy words, but because the fact is, who you are addressing, you are addressing the king and the lord of the universe. So no, you wouldn't want to mumble and bumble some fool thing. Actually, you might think about what it is you're going to say before you say it. Think about what you're going to say before you say it. I love that instance in the, uh, in the movie of uh, Patton. Uh, George C. Scott answers a uh, a a, a a chaplain for a prayer. And the chaplain says, I don't know how it's gonna be, General, praying for for the weather, and general says, don't make to me. Well what you think about it, he go give me I want that prayer and I want it I want it soon. So this chaplain wrote this prayer. And it's a beautiful prayer. It's a Beautiful prayer. One of the things in it he was the weather was was bugging them there and needed good weather so that the tanks could move forward and we could Win a victory over what the chaplain said. The wickedness of our enemies. Deliver us from this inclement weather. He said. That we might be delivered from the wickedness of our enemies. And go from victory to victory in your name. Oh, it was a highly polished, beautiful thing. Then old George Patton read it in the windstorm. Up on, right down the side of the road. And it encouraged him to go forward. It's quite a, quite, quite, quite a story about the relationship between chaplains and George Patton. You can just, just imagine. But, this, but the thing is, oh, an exalted God needs the most thoughtful thing you can think about in addressing Him. Well, that's what David does. That's what the Psalms are about. Collecting your prayerful thoughts into verses of joy. Well, we've come to an end of Shotgun and shooting today about the mud ball and the different things (laughs) throwing them on the wall I hope something sticks for you from what we have been discussing I do know that you will want to reconsider the exalting of the Lord think about that a little and know that the big 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 part about the ascension is not how it begins and how it happens but how it winds up. It winds up with Jesus as Lord. In heaven. At the right hand of God. Farewell. I have enjoyed teaching you this morning. It's been a real joy. I'm going to close with a short prayer. If you have any struggles. Or troubles in your life. Or worries or concerns. Take him to the King of Kings, for he is exalted, he is exalted, and he will hear your prayer, Lord Jesus, be with us now until we come together again. We honor you, we bless you, we praise you with all the best that we have, for we love you above all things. Amen. Goodbye. <laughs> uh-huh. Jesus Virio dos vales Cresce em beleza Força e luz